I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I've developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. In today's reading, we'll be looking at Genesis chapters 12 through 15. In chapter 12, Abram gets the call. Verse 1, Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran, and they went forth to go into the land of Canaan, and into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shechem, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence into a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. We see from Genesis chapter 11, verse 31, that Abram and his family were originally from Ur, a place located in what is today southeastern Iraq. They had previously moved up to Haran, which was by established roads, on its way to Canaan. Abram's father, Terah, had intended to go all the way into Canaan. That's according to Genesis 11.31. But he stopped short in Haran. It was there that Abram gets the call from God in verses 1-3. through 3. Over the next five chapters, there's a considerable expansion of detail regarding this call. But for right now, let's just consider these three verses. First of all... Abram is told to leave his home and family, pack up, and head southwest to a yet undisclosed land. That in itself took faith. He is told that out of him will come a great nation who will, in turn, be a blessing to many others. Now, here's the really awesome part in verse 3. It says, And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. That's a significant promise packed with implications. It becomes the core of what we know today as the Abrahamic Covenant. There's an entire article separately on the Abrahamic Covenant found on this page in the written version of BibleTrack.org for this date. In case you're wondering why Abraham is called Abram in this passage, the name change doesn't actually take place until Genesis chapter 17, 5 when Abram is told by God that he will become a father of many nations. Well, the destination here was Canaan. The land was inhabited by the descendants of Ham's son, Canaan. We see that in verse 6. He had moved there after the dispersion following the debacle at Babel. This land would later become the nation of Israel. 
We aren't told in Scripture, but it seems plausible that this move is the beginning of the fulfillment of the curse against the descendants of Canaan, found in Genesis chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. Abram, of course, was a descendant of Shem. Upon arrival, Abram gets this word from God in Genesis chapter 12, verse 7. It says, And the Lord appeared unto Abram, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Well, that pretty much settles it, doesn't it? This land now officially belongs to the descendants of Abram, not the Canaanites. Oh, and two incidental facts need mentioning here. Abram was 75 years old when he took off for Canaan, and he took his nephew Lot with him. You'll notice in verse 8, and again in chapter 13, verse 3, a reference to a place called Hai. The Hebrew letter equivalent to our English H is the definite article in the Hebrew language. The word Ai is defined as a heap of ruins. When the definite article is placed in front of it, it becomes the heap of ruins. Joshua, as you will recall, reduced Ai to a heap in Joshua chapter 8 verse 28. It says, And Joshua burned Ai and made it in a heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. Now continuing chapter 12 verse 10. And there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarah his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, Thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen and he asses and men servants and maid servants and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidest thou she is my sister, so I might have taken her to be my wife? Now therefore behold thy wife, take her, and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. We see in this passage that Abram ran into a little difficulty when the land experienced famine. So he decided to pack up and head to Egypt for some relief. One problem, though, he was afraid for his life if the Egyptians thought Sarah, then called Sarai, was his wife. 65-year-old Sarah must have been a very attractive woman, at least compared to the Egyptian women. What was he thinking when he introduced her as his sister instead? We see from Genesis 11, 28 and 29 that she was, in fact, his half-sister. But first and foremost, she was his wife. Well, the inevitable happened. She was a hit in Egypt and was invited to live in the big house, Pharaoh's house. What a life. Abram prospered in Egypt. But then the bad news in verse 17 says... And the Lord plagued Pharaoh in his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Abram, add this to your resume, kicked out of Egypt. 
As I mentioned before, Sarah's name was originally Sarai, but was changed per God's instructions to Sarah in Genesis 17:15 upon the announcement that she would bear Abraham a son who should be his heir to the promise issued in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. I'm of the opinion that we shouldn't try to sugarcoat Abraham's actions in this passage. He did what he did. The fact is, Abraham lacked the faith that his God, who had made him a promise of prosperity in verses 1 through 3, could follow through and deliver him safely through the famine. However, Abraham grows in his relationship with Jehovah God by the time we get to Genesis chapter 22. At that point in time, he is fully prepared to follow through with God's command to sacrifice Isaac because he was completely certain of God's promise to provide descendants through Isaac. Here is an example of faith growing through experience. Perhaps this is a good time to point out that Egypt is apparently where Hagar joins Abraham's entourage. She was undoubtedly one of the maidservants seen here in verse 16. She's not actually mentioned by name until we get over to Genesis chapter 16 verse 1. In chapter 13, Abraham and Lot split up. Verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that they had, and Lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord." And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled there in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren." Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if thou depart to the right hand, then will I go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zor. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. In this passage, we see that an accumulation of wealth became a problem for Abram and Lot as they moved back to Canaan. The people just didn't get along. Time to split up. Abram gives Lot the choice, and Lot chooses, and Lot chooses the really nice land east toward the Jordan River. Oh, by the way, Sodom and Gomorrah are over there, already known for their wickedness. We see that in verse 13. Abram chooses to stay around Bethel, where he had originally built the altar upon arrival into Canaan. Incidentally, Bethel remained the let's-get-back-to-God location for the Hebrews for centuries after this. Oh, and by the way, Lot runs into problems with the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah when we get over to chapter 19 of Genesis. In chapter 14, beginning with verse 13, God adds to the promise that he had given to Abram. Verse 14, And the Lord said unto Abram, 
after that lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward. For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that, if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent, and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Here we see that after Lot's departure, God speaks to Abram once again regarding his legacy. Look around, Abram. All of this land belongs to you. We'll see more detail regarding the property allocations in Genesis chapter 15 when we get to verse 18. However, there's a particularly significant promise included here in Genesis 13:16, and here's what it says. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Whoa, that's a lot of seed. The Apostle Paul makes a messianic point about this seed in Galatians chapter 3, verse 16. We'll have more to say about that when we get down to chapter 15 in just a few minutes. Then we see that Abram leaves Bethel and makes a move south about 30 miles to Hebron. That's about 20 miles south of Jerusalem, the city that would later become the capital of Israel under King David. In chapter 14, we see that Abram gets pulled into some regional warfare. Verse 1, And it came to pass in the days of Amraphel, king of Shinar, Arioch, king of Elasar, Kedolaomer, king of Elam, and Tidal, king of nations, that these made war with Bera, king of Sodom, and with Bersha, king of Gomorrah, Shinab, king of Adma, and Shem-Eber, king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, which is Zor. All these were joined together in the vale of Siddim, which is the Salt Sea. Twelve years they served Kedolaomer, and in the thirteenth year they rebelled. And in the fourteenth year came Kedolaomer, and the kings that were with him, and smote the Rephaims, and Ashtoreth Karnaim, and the Zuzims, and Ham, and the Emims, and Shava Kariathaim, and the Horites, and their Mount Seir, unto El Paran, which is by the wilderness. And they returned and came to Enmishpat, which is Kadesh, and smote all the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites that dwelt in Hazazon Tamar. And they went out the king of Sodom, and the king of Gomorrah, and the king of Adma, and the king of Zeboim, and the king of Bela, the same as Zor. And they joined battle with them in the vale of Siddim, with Kedolaomer, the king of Elam, and with Tidal, king of nations, and Amraphel, king of Shinar, and Arioch, king of Elasar, four kings with five. And the vale of Siddim was full of slime pits, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, and fell there. And they that remained fled to the mountain. And they took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all their victuals, and went their way. And they took Lot, Abram's brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom, and his goods, and departed. And there came one that had escaped, and told Abram the Hebrew, for he dwelt on the plain of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eskel, and brother of Aner. And these were confederate with Abram. And when Abram heard that his brother was taken captive, he armed his trained servants, born in his own house, 318, and pursued them unto Dan. And he divided himself against them, he and his servants, by night, and smote them, and pursued them unto Hobah, 
which is on the left hand of Damascus. And he brought back all the goods, and also brought again his brother Lot, and his goods, and the women also, and the people. Now, what pulls Abram into this battle is the capture of Lot. We see that in verse 12. Don't mess with my kin. From among his servants, he raises a substantial army and defeats the Confederate forces of four warring factions, thus winning the release of his nephew, and he saves Sodom and Gomorrah while he's at it. Don't let the word king here give you a false impression. The Hebrew word translated king is simply the most common word for chief magistrate. And it's similar in meaning to several other words usually translated lord, captain, ruler, prince, chief, and such like. If a man ruled over a city with two or three hundred people, he called himself their king back then. Abram rounds up 318 of his trained servants and wins Lot's release. And he takes a nice spoil from the battle as well. Now in chapter 14, beginning with verse 17, we see the entrance of Melchizedek. And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Kedolaomer and of the kings that were with him in the valley of Shava, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand. And he gave tithes of all. And the king of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons, and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a shoe latchet, and that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou shouldest say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men which went with me, Aner, Eskel, and Mamre, let them take their portion." In these verses, we see that Abram gets a special visitor after his victory in winning the release of Lot against those very aggressive kings. You'll notice that Abram tithes to this person, and notice his description of verse 18. It says, he was the priest of the Most High God. Melchizedek was more than just a person in my view. He was the incarnation of Jesus himself. I've written an article entitled, Melchizedek, and uh, it's, it's an article that explains the whole process of my thinking on why Melchizedek was Jesus incarnate. It's in the written notes on BibleTrack.org for this day's reading, or it can be found on the, uh, under the topic section of BibleTrack.org. You'll notice that Abram declines to accept the offer from the king of Sodom to retain the rescued spoil, which had belonged to Sodom. In chapter 15, we find that that seed issue comes up once again. Verse 1, After these things the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision, saying, Fear not, Abram, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars that thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. 
And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Well, here we see that Abram has another talk with God. He wants kids. Or how about just one kid? Then God makes him a promise in verse 5. It says, And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Actually, that's a repeat of a previous promise that was given in Genesis chapter 13, verses 14 through 18. But this time, Abram fully embraces the promise when it is said of him in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted to him for righteousness. That's the definition of saving faith, a believing covenant relationship with God. People have never been saved by works, not ever, not even once. It's always been about faith, just as in this verse. Now, beginning with chapter 15, verse 7, we see that God makes it official with a covenant ceremony. Verse 7, And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees, to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, Take me in a heifer of three years old, and a she-goat of three years old, and a ram of three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these, and divided them in the midst, and laid each piece one against another, but the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterwards shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. But in the fourth generation they shall come hither again, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. The provisions of God's covenant with Abraham roll out over six chapters in Genesis chapters 12 through 17. We know these promises as the Abrahamic covenant, and there's an article on this page on the written notes of BibleTrack.org. You might want to read that for more clarity. Here's the sacrifice that seals that covenant with Abraham. It's an animal sacrifice per God's specifications, and God passes between the pieces of the sacrifice to mark his acceptance and agreement. Apparently, this was an ancient custom for sealing covenants or contracts between two parties. Not much is known about this custom, but ancient extra-biblical sources indicate that the divided animals signified that if you break the provisions of the covenant, what has happened to the animals will happen to you. It is further worth noting that the term make a covenant is really cut a covenant in the Hebrew language, that seems to be a reference to the manner in which covenants were made, blood sacrifice with the dividing of animals. Later on, covenants between parties would not necessarily involve this kind of animal sacrifice, but the Hebrew word for cut, which is karath, continued to be used to describe covenant transactions. Now notice the sealing of the covenant in verse 17, where it says, "...and it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark..." Behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces. Make no mistake about it. This formal ceremony clearly marked the establishment of the provisions of the covenant God made with Abraham. 
There's a provision in this covenant in verses 13 through 16, which must have been a bit unsettling to Abraham. Here's what it says. It says his descendants would end up being servants for a period of time. That's right. It's a reference to the Egyptian captivity, which really began when the family moved to Egypt in Genesis chapter 46. Now, let me remind you again that Abraham is equal to Abram, and that name change doesn't actually take place until Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. Now, beginning with verse 18, we see that God makes a land award to Abraham and his descendants with distinct boundaries. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Rephaims, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, and the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now here's the God-given land award. God made another promise to Abram on that day that this covenant was made in verse 18. Let's review it again. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, that's from the Nile in Egypt to the Euphrates. That's northeast of the nation of Israel. That passage has caused some confusion because the tribes of Israel didn't actually inhabit all that land when they arrived in the book of Joshua. However, upon closer inspection, we see that David did, in fact, control the territory all the way over to the Euphrates. We see this fact in 1 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 3, where it says, And David smote Hadar Ezer, king of Zoban, to Hamath, as he went to establish his dominion by the river Euphrates. So, while the Israelites did not choose to live that far away, nonetheless... David's kingdom extended to that point, thus fulfilling the promise God made to Abram in Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. Now, on the written notes of BibleTrack.org for today's reading, I've provided a link to a map that shows you the promised land as God specifies here in this passage. You can go there, click on it, see the entire map for more understanding. Well, there was a downside to God's provisions that day. Egyptian captivity for 400 years. We see that in verses 13 and 14. Abraham knew about that captivity before it would even happen. There's one more issue that should be mentioned regarding Abraham's seed. There was, of course, the physical blessing of prosperity for Israel as a significant part of this covenant's provisions. There's an additional component which involves believers. Galatians 3.16 says this, Paul's writing, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made, he saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Paul makes the point that we are all recipients of the promise God made to Abraham through Abraham's most notable descendant, Jesus Christ our Lord. When God said in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed, that's talking about us, Christians. So the physical descendants of Abraham got land and physical prosperity out of the covenant, but we, as Gentiles, as saved Gentiles, we get Christ and eternal life out of it. This concludes our podcast for today. 
I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker.